One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, buddy. Welcome to Dan Snow's History Hit. A long, dark, cold winter lies ahead of us. Britain and the rest of the world is in the midst of a fuel crisis. But fear not, Britain's former Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, had the solution. Buy a new kettle, folks. Buy a new kettle and save £10 a year on your electricity bills. You'll be surprised to learn that very helpful interjection by our former Prime Minister echoed previous advice given out during a brutal fuel crisis. Starting in the autumn of 1973, the world was thrust into an oil crisis by the Arab-Israeli October War, known as the Yom Kippur War. A little bit like Putin's invasion of Ukraine this year did with gas prices, it sent the price of oil sky high. The other day, I was listening to Radio 4's flagship current affairs program, first thing in the morning, and there was a suggestion on there that we might want to, instead of having a shower, have a cold flannel bath, whatever that is. It doesn't sound like the kind of bracing preparation I need for a day of podcast records. Anyway, as we're getting all these new energy-saving tips, let's go back and look at the history. We've been here before, folks. The early to mid-1970s was a set of rolling crises, particularly in the UK, where the state of emergency was imposed on a number of occasions the last time it was done so. In response to the lack of energy, keeping the lights on, keeping the heat on. It's one of government's primary roles it's made harder by the fact that often it's driven by events totally outside their control. Here to talk to me about the parallels with the early 70s is Alwyn Turner. He's been on this podcast before. He's a writer of political and cultural history. He's written a book about the 1970s. He came on to talk about it on the podcast before, but now we're specifically going to look at energy in the 70s, what governments did about its lack of supply, the similarities and the many differences between now and the 1970s. Enjoy. Alwyn, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Very pleased to be here. First of all, why was there a fuel crisis from 1973 onwards? What was going on in the world at the time? Well, I think we've got to go back even before that to 1972. There was problems then. To start with, our power came from different sources. Half of all our energy was from oil. And if you add in coal to that, it takes up about 85% of all our power supply. It's very different from that now. We're down to less than half, around about 40% is oil and coal and most of the rest is gas. So we are dependent on these two sources of oil and coal. And it really starts to go wrong at the beginning of 1972 when there's a coal miners strike. I think we have a different perception of miners strikes because the one in the mid 1980s was so dramatic. But this was the first time there had been a national coal strike since the war. And so it was a big deal. And the government imposed a series of emergency measures in order to protect power supplies. And it was a huge strike one of the worst strikes we'd ever had at that stage. And there were cuts to the supply of power to people's homes, 
Public lighting was cut dramatically. Electric heating was banned in shops and restaurants and pubs. And so there was a sense of crisis already in the beginning of 1972. Recently, there's been reports from Switzerland that if you have your temperature above a certain heat in your house, you might get fined or in some way. And that's been seen as an appalling intrusion of government into our private lives and our own domestic arrangements. You're telling me that the Conservative government of the early 1970s took similar action. It did. And because it was using state of emergency powers, it was able to do so. And that's something that has changed because... During Edward Heath's time as Prime Minister from 70 to 74, I mean, he was Prime Minister for less than four years, and he declared five states of emergency. And that kind of devalued the currency of it. And consequently, we haven't had one since. Margaret Thatcher specifically was so outraged by this continual descent into a state of emergency that she decided never to do so. And that's become normal. But there were really strict controls, and it was legally enforceable. I mean, there were adverts referring in the papers saying, if you break the regulations, you could get a £100 fine. And that's a lot of money at the time. I mean, the average wage is, is about a third of that. So you're talking about three weeks' wages as a fine or three months in jail. So there was a very serious set of impositions on people. And then there was the encouragement to cut back, which is also where people feel that it's a bit intrusive. The great slogan of the 1972 miners' strike was SOS, switch off something. And that idea that we could choose to restrict our energy consumption was very big, but people didn't necessarily go along with that. Alwyn, did it work? Did our energy consumption go down? Oh, the price didn't come down, but then this wasn't an issue of price. This was an issue of supply. There was a shortage of energy. So it's a different situation to where we are now. Of course, because at that point, the energy provider was nationalised. Indeed, yes. We're talking about the electricity board, which was a, a government-owned supplier. So the government could fix the price for consumers, but the problem is there just wasn't enough input at the other end. Yeah. And so the idea of the regulations and of the rolling power cuts, you would get three hours a block where you were told there was going to be no power supply. The idea of that was to conserve energy so that we didn't run out completely. If we'd carried on with normal consumption, the whole system would have collapsed. So I guess the closest analogy is to, in recent times, is the COVID. Protect the NHS. It was kind of like protect energy supplies because we may run out. About a million workers were laid off during this strike. It lasted for six weeks. And it really impacted on pretty much everybody. Parliament was working by paraffin lights and candles at times. You know, It affected the entire country. And again, maybe that's a difference with now. As you're talking, it's so funny to think that frugality in terms of our use of fossil fuels is now sort of cutting edge, terribly fashionable. In fact, the idea of sort of making Parliament meet using candles or something, you know, perhaps that would now be a rather progressive thing to do. Well, it would send out a good signal, wouldn't it? It would look as if we were all in it together, to use the slogan of a few years ago. And I think that's an important part of the time is that it does affect everybody. Well, price does not. You know, by definition, if you can afford power, the rise in price is not that big a deal. It is for most people, but not for everyone. But if you're cutting the power, if you're saying we're going to have three hours without any power in your area, that's everybody is affected by it. And so there's a sense of the entire nation going through the same thing. And of course, this is not that long after the war. The average age is about 34. So these are people who can remember either the war, or at least the period of rationing that extended up to 1954. So that idea of the entire country being beleaguered was something that you could draw on. You could say, we need to pull together like we did in the old times. And that, of course, is not there anymore. Something that is here today is the global strategic picture changing quite dramatically in early October 1973. Syria and Egypt launch a very successful surprise attack on Israel. And for a few days, it looks like they may overwhelm 
Israeli Defense Force. And just as we've seen the war in Ukraine sent the price of gas through the roof, why does that send the price of oil sky high? The issue was that, although, as you say, the first initial drive, because it was a surprise attack during the holiday of Yom Kippur, it was successful to start with, it then was not. Israel repelled both Egypt and Syria. And those countries and other Arab nations felt that the dice were unfairly loaded, that the West had been giving so much support to Israel that they stood no chance. And therefore, they decided effectively to punish the West by putting up the price of oil. And so OPEC, the oil-producing, exporting countries, increased the price of oil. It tripled in the space of a couple of months. And that hits the entire world because the whole industrial world is based around oil as its primary fuel. It doesn't actually hit Britain as badly as it hits some other countries because Britain is seen as being something of an honest broker in the Arab-Israeli conflict. But it does hit Britain as it hits the whole of Europe and everywhere else. And then on top of that, we add that there is another dispute in the coal fields. There's a work to rule by miners, and that then escalates into a full-blown strike at the beginning of 1974. And at the same time, there is a railway strike, and coal is taken around the country largely by rail at this point. And so the supply of coal to power stations is cut. So we now have a perfect storm where we have a problem with the coal supply and a problem with the oil. And it all comes together by the end of 1973. Things are looking very, very bleak indeed. I mean, worse than they had been at the beginning of 72, and that was bad enough. Isn't Dan Snow's history? We're talking about high energy prices in the 70s. More after this. The Old Testament. It is one of the most influential collections of texts ever created. And this month on The Ancients, we are exploring some of the Hebrew Bible's most well-known stories, people, objects, and kingdoms, and the influences that inspired them. From the Mesopotamian origins behind the well-known creation story of Noah's Ark and the Great Flood, to world-shaping prophets like Moses, sacred artifacts like the Ark of the Covenant, and the archaeology of Temple Mount. Stay tuned for new episodes of our Old Testament series out every Thursday this June on the Ancients from History Hit. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What did the government try and do? Did they focus on cutting down energy use or did they focus, as we appear to be today, on printing money and trying to artificially reduce the price of these essential raw materials? The emphasis was entirely on cutting consumption. By the end of December 1973, it was clear that all of these problems were coming together. There was going to be a massive, huge crisis, and the government resolved to cut energy consumption by 20%. And so it announced it would be a three-day working week, which obviously then has a massive impact on people's income and wages. And so it imposes this idea that we must cut consumption. And there's a whole series of measures, some of which become very part of the folklore almost. The idea that television broadcasts have to stop at 10.30 at night. There is a 50 mile an hour speed limit imposed on motorways. Street lighting is cut. Electric heating is cut in most workplaces. There was a proposal to cut heating in schools, but Margaret Thatcher, who was then the education secretary, put a foot down at that point. There was talk of turning back the clocks in order that we could make better use of daylight hours so that we could carry on working without light and heat. It was very definitely the idea was to cut consumption. And again, did it work? I mean, not politically, because of course it brought down the government of Edward Heath in February 1974 when he called an early election. But it did reduce consumption. It had to. It had a serious impact on people, partly because there was so much else going on as well. I mean, this is also when the IRA started bombing British cities on the mainland. Inflation is rampant, worse than it is now. Food inflation was running at about 19, 20% by the end of 1973. Interest rates were at 13%. Pretty much the only thing that was working was uh, the alcohol industry. Sales of alcohol were through the roof because there was nothing else to do but to get drunk at home. Why is there not more talk now about turning stuff off? It feels like we're not focusing as much on behaviour as they did in the 70s. Is that because of the 70s and the Conservatives have built this absolute shibboleth? We don't want anything that even hints of the 1970s. Yeah, I think there is. Quite a strong element of that, yes. And also, I mean, going back to what you said earlier about Switzerland, there is a feeling that people don't really like it. People don't like being told. And that was evident in the 70s to some extent. I mean, because beyond the official requirements, there were also a whole series of pieces of advice that were issued. Um, The government told us that we should dry clothes outside rather than in a washing machine. And, And there was a government minister telling us we ought to brush our teeth in the dark. And people just felt that this was firstly trivial and secondly, just intrusive and patronising. There's a kind of fear of that, I think, still, that we don't really want to get involved too much in telling people off and micromanaging their lives. But there is a point to this. There is stuff that can be done, one would have thought, and not necessarily individuals, but council offices that are overlit, street lighting that is overlit. One of the things that happened in the 1974 emergency was that floodlighting was banned at football stadiums. There used to be a lot of football matches played on weekday evenings. They all had to be suspended. And instead, football was given special license to stage matches on Sundays. And it was the first time. And obviously, that was an emergency measure that has never gone away. Because once you make that concession, football is in it for the money from that stage. So there's unintended consequences. But still, the idea of banning floodlights was a very sensible one. There are, one would have thought, areas that could be affected in this way without it being quite as intrusive as telling us to brush our teeth in the dark. So that's energy. What about 
industrial disputes. We've got barristers, rail workers, postal workers have all got strikes planned now. There were other strikes famously into the late 1970s. Is what strikes you at the moment the similarities or are there key differences to to the politics of the late 70s? I think it's the key differences, really. And the real difference is if the railways go on strike, this is inconvenient, but it's not actually going to threaten any other industries in the same way that it did in the 1970s. When coal was transported by rail and a whole lot of freight was transported by rail, a railway strike had huge ramifications on other industries. I don't think that's the same. Now we we look at it as being inconvenient to travellers rather than to industry. So it it is massively inconvenient and it is annoying and whatever, but it's it's still not going to have a huge impact. And also these are one-day strikes, or when they're cleverly staged, it's two days with one in between, so it turns into a three-day strike. They were all out strikes in the 70s. This was not one-offs. You went on strike and you stayed on strike until the dispute was resolved. So there's a difference there. The barristers, yeah, it's not good, but it's still not the same as power workers coming out on strike or miners. These are the areas that affect the people who are using the service, but it doesn't go much further than that. The lights are not going to go out because the railway workers are on strike. Did the 70s lead to any strategic changes in how we sourced and how we sort of create our energy mix? Did people look harder at nuclear, at hydroelectric? Did it affected Thatcher, in her opinion, of getting coal from Newcastle, clearly? It is the miners' strike of the mid-1980s that then provokes the dash for gas. And that's what really changes it. That's when coal ceases to be of any significance. And by that stage, things had changed in the broader picture in terms of the supply of power stations that had been shifted to the roads. And so the nature of the industry changed, but also then in the aftermath of that, that's when we start moving on to gas. And gas is now, I think it's about 40% of our energy supplies from that. And it, it, it has become different. This is probably outside your area of expertise, but I mean, I wonder if we might see a similar, we've already got lots of investment in renewables, but whether we'll see a doubling down on that. And we will end up in 20 years time with a very different energy mix, partly because of what's going on now. I think that seems inevitable because we have become so reliant clearly on external forces. The idea that we could be not entirely self-sufficient, but largely so would seem to be an obvious issue of security for the country. So, yeah, one would hope that politicians would respond. Quite apart from the catastrophic damage to our climate and atmosphere and paying lots of money to evil dictators. So it does seems like a no-brainer to me, Alwyn. Tell everyone what your wonderful book is called that covers this period. I have a book called Crisis, What Crisis, written in the 1970s. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for coming back, Alwyn Turner. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can't really be proud of yourself if you don't know your history. Those were the words of Nelson Mandela and the foundation of a new podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times, Your History. Join me, Anna Temkin, 
deputy obituaries editor of The Times, each week as we explore the astonishing lives that have shaped our own lives. Your History, available wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.